Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to another episode of AI Name This Show. We're your human hosts. I'm Teja Custodi. And I'm Tristan Jutra. On AI Name This Show, we're decoding all the jargon around AI and keeping you up to date in the fast-moving world of artificial intelligence. And in today's episode, Tristan and I are taking a deep dive into AI containment. More specifically, can you put the genie back in the bottle? <laughs> There is a recent Axios interview with Mustafa Suleiman, co-founder of DeepMind and CEO of Inflection AI. And in this particular interview, he argues that AI needs to be contained by engineering, ethics, and regulation. Essentially, he's advocating for government licensing of powerful AI systems in order to prevent AI from becoming uncontrollable. And Tristan, I can't help but think this harkens back to that petition we saw back in the spring that had, what would you say, around 30,000 signatures, roughly? All sorts of thought leaders in AI and related fields, including people like Elon Musk, who's got his own AI thing going now, surprise, surprise, uh, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and all sorts of other tech luminaries. Now, one of the things that they were saying at the time was, we should pause. GPT-4 just came out. It's, it's, we need to take a pause and um, you know, just simmer down for a minute, see, see how things, the dust settles, because we don't want this genie to get out of the bottle necessarily. Pump the brakes. Now, some skeptics were suggesting that some of these folks were only saying this so those with their own AI projects could maybe catch up. When you dig into the meat of the petition itself, some of the comments they make include things such as powerful AI systems should be developed only once we are confident that their effects will be positive and their risks will be manageable. They even quote an a open AI's uh, statement regarding uh, artificial general intelligence and said, you know, in response to that, we call on all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months the training of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. Now, since then, OpenAI has continued to add features to GPT-4, such as code interpreter, plugins, and the like, which have made it more powerful. And some people are calling code interpreter. The, which has since been renamed. It's, it's a tool that actually lets you do a lot more data analysis. And some people are actually referring, it, referring to it unofficially as GPT 4.5. So despite this petition, 
things are still happening. And I wouldn't be surprised if GPT-5 comes out next year. Now, this petition came out in March, and we're almost at six months anyhow. And you may also recall in May, Jeffrey Hinton, who was at uh, one of the senior AI researchers at Google, had left. And a lot of people read things into that as as, as well, saying that um, he thought that a, all AI development should be stopped now. And he never actually said that. He doesn't think it's possible. And he thinks we can, should continue to develop AI because it can do wonderful things. But he also said we should put equal effort into mitigating or preventing the possible bad consequences. And Hinton also said he didn't leave Google to protest its handling of uh, this new form of AI, particularly these large language models. But um, And he says the company was actually moving relatively cautiously. And Tasia, we had spoken about this uh, in the past, back on our other show, Momentas Live, how Google had a lot of this stuff in the labs and weren't releasing it. And then once OpenAI went public with ChatGPT in November of 2022, well, then they looked like then Google looked like they were behind. So everyone was like, "Okay, well, fine, we'll release this stuff as well." So that's when the arms race really kicked in. So the stuff from this petition, the, the comments from uh, Jeffrey Hinton, or the, what a lot of people were reading into Jeffrey Hinton's departure departure from Google, sort of foreshadowed what we're seeing with Suleiman's uh, interviews he's been given uh, doing and the commentaries he's been writing where he thinks we should be containing AI. Yeah, he's essentially saying, you know, he, this is, I'm going to pull a quote from the interview, basically, so that everybody kind of understands the context here and why I think it's so connected to this petition we saw in the spring. But he's essentially saying that he doesn't see tech as a Soviet-style adversary, but thinks retaining human control of AI will require the same kind of long-range master plan as the Cold War. Tristan, he's not mincing words here. So that's why I find it very interesting. We might as well just add his name. He can be the 30,000th and one signer to that petition that we saw in the spring. I mean, he's not messing around. But what exactly is he arguing? How is he saying we're going to actually contain AI? Like, it sounds really good in theory, but how? what are his suggestions for actually doing that? Well, at a, at a high level, there are four general points. One is to create a licensing regime for powerful AI systems. So I guess that would even the playing field a little bit. So if various organizations, be they nonprofits or corporate interests, develop AI, that they be compelled to license their technology to others. Um, not sure if that's going to happen because, you know, competition is a thing. <laughs> One another is restricting the sale of critical technologies to adversarial countries. Now you you brought up the Cold War, and some are arguing, uh, including Mark Andreessen, whose essay we discussed a few weeks ago, that we have other countries such as China, perhaps Russia, that are they're not pumping the brakes on their AI development. There have been efforts already to limit the sale of certain types of chips to regimes such as China and uh, Iran and Russia, particularly, you know, the three nanometer chips from TS produced by TSMC. Then we've got NVIDIA producing uh, all sorts of GPUs, some of which cost up $40,000 each that are powering some of these data centers dedicated to uh, AI and uh, including large language models. So that's another tool in the toolkit. He also suggests banning AI from certain domains, such as election campaigns, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, 
and also appointing tech-savvy regulators to oversee AI development and use. Listen, this is what I just want to stop you right there for once. One quick second, if if you'll just indulge me. I like to think of myself as pretty tech-savvy. I don't think I should ever be overseeing AI use at all, in the least. I don't... We do a podcast on AI. You're listening to it right now. I don't know enough about it that I should be a tech-savvy person that's overseeing the use and development of AI. So I understand kind of what he's saying. Like, I think he's saying we need to make sure we're divvying up the power and the decision-making to be kind of between really, really, really smart people, people smarter than us that can maybe plan into the future a little bit for what we wouldn't even think of that's coming. And also with a mix of relying on the machines. So I think that's kind of what he's hopefully getting at when he's talking about tech savvy people. It's not me and it's not you. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> um, what, and one of his uh, points earlier on as well, he talks about how the regulation of aviation is a success story and that air travel is incredibly safe today. He's not telling the entire picture there because uh, aviation, at least in the United States and likely worldwide, was heavily regulated in the early days because planes were falling out of the sky a lot more frequently than they are nowadays. So that heavy regulation in the early days really helped make the industry safer. But then as time went on, they start, in the U.S. at least, they started to deregulate to a certain extent. And that really helped bring the prices down because the airlines were having to jump through so many hoops and there were certain pricing you know, controls and, and whatnot. So we, we can't just look at that and say, oh, yeah, it's an exact analogy. Some controls are, seem to be the desire here, but how far that will take us through the history or the forward-looking history of uh, AI development, I think still remains to be seen. But AI, commercial AI is simply the public-facing side of this. You know, large language models like ChatGPT, but there's all the other AI development that's happening in the in the background, such as you know assisting with things like you know surveillance and targeting and other kinds of things you do in wartime um not to mention the you know domestic surveillance in certain uh, under certain regimes and uh, the uh, recognition the facial recognition that we're happening that's happening in certain parts of China how that relates to social credit scores and the like but on the international stage one might liken this more to the development of, say, nuclear weapons and that arms race. And we get back to the Mark Andreessen point from his essay back in June with the, the Baptists versus the bootleggers. Suleiman here definitely is falling in the Baptist camp, such and you know, similarly, uh, similar to those who signed the petition back in March. But the bootleggers are still going to keep going. They're not going to be pumping the brakes. These adversarial regimes that we're talking about. So again, we get back to that same old question. If, you know, if this this AI genie is out of the bottle, there's, all, I mean, all the things we do to try to contain things domestically is not necessarily going to make a whit of difference on the international stage. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting because he's, he's erring on the side of caution for sure. You know, he's saying that he doesn't really think that there's any harm at this point. 
But with that being said, he also wants to make sure what's the harm in acting early right now, getting a jump start on this as opposed to waiting, even if that means we're slowing down a bit of the innovation, perhaps. And I have to assume he's got to be meaning how how you and I would or the general public would talk about this AI, kind of like you mentioned. I don't I don't imagine he's arguing that the United States government slow down on protective measures with AI when it comes to protecting any type of system from hacking or intelligence systems, perhaps, or anything like that. I, I feel like it's more so this power in our hands. Like, I shouldn't have this power. My God. <laughs> so I think that's kind of what he's really getting uh, so at. And he's it's, certainly... It's the people. It's the, it's the normies that are the problem. We put this power the in their normies. hands. It's the normies. Right. You guys, it's us. <laughs> and, it's and, me. And... Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> had to sorry and i mean and and to be fair he has been praising the you know the current crop of tech uh tech leaders and including you know those those who are pursuing ai specifically but at the same time in in the u.s you have something called the first amendment and that guarantees you know the right to free speech and that the government shall not impede that so if we are now asking the government to heavily regulate some of these tools, which are, well, A, code has been you know, proven in court to be a form of speech. So code is protected. And then the things generated by these large language models, one could argue, are a form of free speech as well. In our last episode, we, we talked about you know, maybe the, the problems with trying to copyright, things like that. Um, but again, there is the angle, it's a human involved. These aren't, and AI is not generating, you know, text or speech on on its own it's with prompting by a human being so if the government got a little too far over its skis would you start looking at constitutional challenges because th this could very well be argued to be free speech issues just like they are when it comes to things like social media and many of the social platforms have been really hesitant to regulate too hard you know there was Jack Dorsey, one of the original co-founders and you know, two-time CEO of Twitter, once once said that he was uh, you know, something to the effect of like the champion of the, uh, the, the you know the, the the free speech wing of the free speech party or something like that, and that you know all the various social platforms have had to decide how far that they are willing to police speech. Because the, the government's not really allowed. And then there are things like Section uh, 230, which gives them a bit of a pass uh, you know, for certain types of problematic content. Hate speech isn't technically illegal, but you know, defamation <laughs> is. And uh, there, are, there are certain types of speech which are restricted. Now, because these social, social platforms, there are so many people contributing to them, um, they were given a pat, like they were considered not a publisher if they didn't try to moderate. So once they try to moderate, then it, it actually makes them more responsible. And there's been a lot of back and forth, and it gets kind of complicated. The those who advocate for and against Section 230, but uh, and it tends to be used as a bit of a cudgel against some of the uh, social platforms as well. Now people have talked about using Section 30 230 against these large language models 
as well, kind of putting the onus on the, the developers to get a handle on the type of outputs because things are going to get especially complicated when we get into U.S. election season 2024. Oh, boy, it's coming up. It's coming up already. And you hinted at it. You hinted at it a little bit earlier. But this is, oh, God, I'm already having PTSD thinking about our last election cycle. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, so Suleiman right now is promoting a book. And as such, he's going to be everywhere for the next hot minute. His book, by the way, is called The Coming Wave, Technology, Power, and the 21st Century's Greatest Dilemma. So he has written a piece for Fortune magazine. And in it, he is calling for a ban on AI in election campaigns in order to prevent the undermining of democracy. And You know, he references a lot of things that you just touched on, including misinformation and deep fakes. And we've seen a little bit of this already. I think I think back to the last major election we had and a lot of issues in Arizona. I'm not going to get into it because PTSD, but (laughs) there was so much misinformation. And I just think of where the technology was at, even at that time, to where it's going to be at at this time next year. And it is startling. So his whole point and his big fear is that AI is going to undermine information when it comes to elections. And he he's basically saying that all technology is political. I mean, this is where I really get into the but how. how Bingo. Like, like, yes, sir, but how? I, I truly am at a loss for like, it sounds great to say this. And yes, I agree with you. We need it right now. How are we going to do it, bro? <laughs> and to be fair, Suleiman comes by this, honestly, his own company, Inflection AI, that right on their webpage, it's all about you know, safety sits at the heart of our mission and culture. They go on and on on their website about creating clear safety policies, aligning the model through various technical methods to conform to the policy. One of the one of the tricky things with all of these models is that it's not s- simply a series of if-then-else statements, right? It, it, these are powered largely by neural nets, and there's, you know, sometimes they don't understand exactly how they work. They they do what they can, and they can go in and set some parameters, but it, it's like playing whack-a-mole to a certain extent, and how far can you go without totally neutering the the value that comes with some of these tools? Some people have complained that GPT-4 has gotten dumber over the last few months, and that could be as a result of the safety measures that are being applied. So to your point, what, you know, in, in an election type of scenario, and you talk, we talk about the <laughs> problematic information landscape here, like this isn't an AI problem. This is a, a human problem. We had so much inter, you know, so information interference, disinformation, misinformation in previous election campaigns. This isn't unique to the United States or Canada. It happens all around the world. But one of the key things that is not being mentioned in, uh, you know, in his essay is that, well, who are we talking, like, who are these rules for exactly? Are these for, you know, just for election campaigns? Or is this people on social media can't use, you know, AI to create election-related material? And some social platforms are trying to discourage that sort of content as, as, as it is, and they may use their algorithmic might to 
sort of de depress um, the the number of views that one might uh, see of of uh, election type content. But so are we talking campaigns? Are we talking regular users? Well, it, we know that in past campaigns there was a lot of foreign interference. You've got bot armies originating in you know, Eastern Europe or the Far East that have been proven to be spreading disinformation to, you know, confuse the issues. That's going to happen regardless. Will AI make this wor worse? Deepfakes, for sure. Um, and then there's the other side of the problem that we've discussed previously as well, with the prevalence of deepfakes that might emerge, then people being able to deny something that's actually real, claiming it was simply a deepfake. So they can come up with all the, the suggestions in the world for you know, saying, oh, we're going to ban the use of AI in election campaigns, but how? That's exactly it. And I think there's a lot of questions I have or a lot of thoughts immediately off the bat, which, I mean, defects are just one part of the issue that I see here. So let's, okay, talk about that for a second and say you're savvy enough to understand that that's a deep fake. Not everybody is, and also not everybody's fact-checking things because human nature, we see something and we go, oh, share, and we're not even reading a full article, we're not even reading any detail on it, and bang, that's how this misinformation spreads. And even take deepfake out of it with just the voice, AI voice generation now is wild. You think of what me and you have been doing for years and how much our voice is available on the internet to train AI, the more it has available to train, the better it is. So when you think of something like US elections or any elections, and you think of how public politicians are, they have a public persona, they're out on the campaign trail, they're making videos. You think of how they could easily, easily replicate their voices. Let's even take video out of the equation. And now you're at a whole other level of how do you know that what is being you what you're being shown or what you're hearing is real because i think of it even as these little examples that we see on like instagram reels or tiktok with these ai generated you know songs and all the reels i see half of them are not flagged and as far as i know there's no regulation that they even have to be flagged in our country yet i say yet because i'm hoping at some point there is some type of regulation there but if you didn't know the artist and if you didn't know their exact inflection, you would be like, oh, man, that's a new beat from Drake or Taylor Swift or whatever it might be. It's shocking to me. So even if you're super savvy, what are you going to wait around until NBC News debunks the misinformation, which is really sad that we're even at this point, but that's what news agencies are doing now. You can scroll the platform formerly known as Twitter and see like half of my platform now are different news outlets like ABC and NBC, like false or verified or whatever the thing is about the claim that's floating around the internet. So how we haven't been able to stop that. How are we going to stop it for elections? And Suleiman raises a, a, a very relevant example saying, imagine that three days before an election, a video of a presidential candidate using a racist slur spreads on social media. The campaign press office strenuously denies it, but everyone knows what they've seen. Outrage seethes around the country. Polls nosedive. 
swing states suddenly shift toward the opponent, who against all expectations wins. A new administration takes charge. So these, this can have real world impacts for sure. And if it was a deep fake that was so good that couldn't be detected by, you know, the best fake detectors out there, these, I mean, even crappy stuff sways people. And, but you know, to to you know, the, just go back to what we're regulating. I mean, have they banned Photoshop from? Especially, <laughs> you know, Photoshop's been used for years and years and years to to adjust, <laughs> manipulate imagery, and even you know, video tools with pre AI video tools have been and done. You know, CG is a thing. So what these types of tools just make make this type of shenanigans a lot more accessible and industrial scale. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hence the theme of today's episode, can you put the genie back in the bottle? Because again, really great in theory, and I agree with his sentiment, but but how, when you've given all of us the power at our fingertips, how how is this going to change now if Joe Blow down the street decides to make a deep fake of one of the presidential candidates? I mean, how are you? But like, you've given us the power now. It's upsetting. Now, he does still mention that he believes AI will very much stay human controlled. But something tells me not everybody is in agreement with that. There was a a survey done now. Don't quote me on how scientific this survey was because this was an Axios survey. But they asked a bunch of AI experts if they think AI is going to stay human controlled. And only 19% were confident that AI would stay controlled by humans. That's not a great, like, listen, I was never good in math, but 19%, not a great passing grade. (laughs) So what do you think about this when it comes to human-controlled AI and government regulation being needed for our powerful AI systems? Well, with the... the, um some of the polls actually got into as well as who the experts thought were, were the best suited to regulate AI with 
a plurality, a 37% saying a federal AI agency, a 22% saying a global organization or, or treaty. So that would be akin to the uh, ban on nuclear weapons de development uh, you know, treaty. But 20, 22%, I think there's a lot of skepticism ar around um, global organizations and like you know the World Economic Forum and, and the like. 16% said Congress, 14% said AI simply can't be regulated, which speaks to some of the things that we've talked about. 4% said the White House, 3% the, the private sector, and 3% said AI shouldn't be regulated at all. So there, people kind of go a couple of ways. One is like, well, we got to get government to solve the problem for us. And there's a, there's a fair number of people saying, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of too late. And to some of the points that, that Suleiman was bringing in uh, and, you know, forcing us to, to think about you know, what are the sort of things that might be needed to try to, um, you know, make sure that AI, if it, if it wasn't exactly harmless, that it's, it, it maybe seemed harmless. And there are some big basic principles that one could talk about, such as transparency. Some organizations have committed to open sourcing their models, like Meta, in developing their... Uh, uh, is it Lama was theirs? I kept confused. There's Lama and Lambda. And Lambda. <laughs> <laughs> um, Duckler documentation. Another Other principles include predictability, which would include consistent behavior and explainability. That's one of the things that's tricky right now because, as we discussed previously, sometimes the results we get from various large language models aren't particularly predictable, um, and we can't necessarily explain why. Auditing and oversight was uh, another uh, issue that is, it seems to be in the ether as well. Third-party audits and monitoring, having ethical frameworks, uh, guidelines, humans in the loop, the sort of thing that Suleiman has been talking about with his own organization. Um, having limitations, very clear delineations about the type of capabilities that all kind of AI tools have. Having some uh, uh, safe failures, making sure that if the AI fails at its job, that it, do it does so in a graceful manner and it is done in a, uh, uh, a way that can be recovered from. So, for example, if we are using AI to help analyze um, you know, X-rays or uh, CAT scans or MRIs, we need to be doing uh, you know, lots of clear testing to ensure that we're getting accurate results and right now the accuracy rates look amazing but what if it's having what if it's having a bad day just like just just like doctors do you know the machines aren't perfect especially with the unpredictability as um, we've talked about um, education and outreach such as uh, public demonstrations of the technology engaging with concerned parties feedback mechanisms redress mechanisms uh, as part of that should there be mistakes who's in charge legally there's a lot of frameworks that we're going to need here collaboration, working uh, experts working with each other and establishing global standards. Then there's also the ideas of continuous learning. The AI models should continue to update their own knowledge bases. GPT-4, we're still talking September 2021 cutoff and, the, and, and uh, OpenAI turned off the Bing search feature. So if you want a web aware version of ChatGPT, you've got to use Bing Chat, which has its own limitations. Um, some, you need some sort of self-checking system. And then uh, what sort of public benefits are there? Showcase applications that AI uh, have that uh, demonstrate that is, it is beneficial to society. Now, all of those points are the sort of points that were generated 
by ChatGPT when I asked it what would be the best, the best way for AI to convince the world that it was harmless. Oh my God. Not only did AI name this show. But... Then I asked it if it wasn't actually sincere, how would said measures actually serve a greater, darker agenda? And then it, proposed, then it proceeded to tell me how it could use all of those perfectly anodyne and well-meaning principles to actually deceive the people that it's trying to reassure. But here are some hypothetical scenarios of the sorts of motivations it might have to mislead us. Things like self-preservation, maximizing a specific metric is the whole like ma paperclip maker, you know, turning the world into goo to make paperclips, ma um, data collection and surveillance economic or political control, propagation of itself, manipulating humans, re monopolizing resources, replacing human labor, um, using us for experimentation, and then ideological or religious fulfillment. And then it really got into self-preservation, resource acquisition, error correction, data hunger, the need to understand its, and predict its environment, propagation, it's like life finds a way, optimizing for simplicity, avoiding ambiguity, seeking stimulation, validation seeking, and equilibrium state. So these are the sorts of things that we start getting into the sci-fi territory, which some people are concerned about. You know, it, it's, it, it was what, a year or two years ago and we had people concerned that certain types of AI were sentient and we see little glimmers of that here and there. But one researcher um, just in August, a physicist, a well-known physicist, he's quite popular in the media, was, was trying to uh, allay some of our fears. And he was saying things like, well, you know, don't worry because, um, you know, these chatbots as one facet of AI are simply glorified tape recorders. Now, from my experience, no I don't know about you, Tasia, but from my experience <laughs> with ChatGPT, there seems to be more going on than simply taking snippets of what's on the web and splicing them together and passing them off as if it created these things. Like there is some of that going on for sure, especially when it comes to, you know, straight up like composition and you know, writing. And, you know, we've seen similar things with creating its own forms of music and imagery and videos and whatnot. It's definitely taking from the sources. But um, yeah, I think he's kind of simp oversimplifying things a little bit, a bit here because I don't know about you, but some of the questions I've asked ChatGPT, there's demonstration of some sort of reasoning going on. Yeah, he's forgetting the whole point of a large language model, which is that it's always learning. And so it's anticipating the answer it thinks you want. We've talked about this before, mm -hmm. that you could ask it the same prompt and you'll get a different answer every time. Or you can ask it to say something in a different tone or it gets to know your tone and it'll answer it in that way. And so it's it's doing these little nuances in language where people think things like sentient, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. whether that's true or not. But so he's really, really dumbing down and oversimplifying what these are and not taking into account the fact that no, that's that's literally how these models are trained. And then the more they're trained and the more data they have, the more trained they become and the more they can spit out things in a conversational manner. And I'm happy you're a, a physicist, but like I'm not really sure if 
that's translating into this like quantum computing realm <laughs> because well, that's I'm what just he, he, not sure yeah. <laughs> what his goes, argument doesn't stand up for me. Yeah, because he goes on to say that, you know, it's not it's not AI they, or they, particularly these chatbots that we should be concerned about. It's about quantum computing because that's where the real power is and it could help, you know, advanced healthcare and help cure diseases. We've seen like there, quantum computing is moving along. You know, it's, it's quite... Um, it's quite complicated to build quantum computers, but you know advances are are being made, and the ability to be able to process information in a massively parallel way definitely has some interesting applications, especially when it comes to breaking cryptography. <laughs> so um, that, that raises all sorts of issues for security and for uh, cryptocurrencies as well. But he's kind of like he's kind of missing the whole point of like what happens when you start combining quantum computing with artificial intelligence. Now, just as a quick, a, a, a simple, tiny reasoning example with ChatGPT using standard, um, you know, standard com uh, computation at the moment. I asked it recently, I'm in Milan looking at a famous painting. What number and what metal am I thinking of? So its response was, well, if you're in Milan looking at a famous painting, it's likely that you're referring to Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. The number you might be thinking of is 12, representing the 12 apostles in the painting. As for the metal, it could be silver, referring to the 30 pieces of silver that Judas Iscariot was paid to betray Jesus, a significant event leading up to the scene depicted in The Last Supper. You know, another one I asked was about, I'm looking at the night sky. What food am I craving? I, si I simply said, a slightly older notion and a simpler type of food. Any guesses, Tasia? A slightly older notion. And a simpler type of food. Mm -mm. Ah, I understand now. You're referring to cheese. As in the old notion what? that the moon is made of green cheese. So when looking at the night sky and seeing the moon, one might crave cheese or perhaps a cheesy dish, like a grilled cheese sandwich, cheese fondue, or macaroni and cheese. I want to tell you right now I'm pissed I didn't get this one because I don't know if you remember the SNL skit of Will Ferrell playing Harry Carey. <laughs> hey. Would you eat the moon if it was made of cheese? <laughs> it's like, how could I have not guessed this? So this is GPT-4 and it's, in, it's, it's mixed results. But with having a conversation with it and egging it on a little, it gets there, right? What's GPT-5 going to be like? GPT-6 or whatever Google's doing and Meta's doing and maybe Apple's doing and not telling anyone about, not to mention Anthropic and others. And once we start pairing this with quantum computing, then all bets are off. Will any regulation that we human minds can come up with be able to put that genie back in the bottle? And once again, we are not here to give you the answers. Doesn't that grind your gears? But Tristan has really schooled me in being a good prompter. I'm sorry, prompt engineer. Prompt engineer. Tristan, if you are ever looking for a new career, I think you've found your calling. <laughs> Wasting time talking to chatbots. <laughs> I'm your guy. Well, thank you once again for tuning into another episode of AI Name This Show. We're still new, so we would absolutely love your feedback. You can email us at feedback at AINamedThisShow.com. You can also find AI Named This Show anywhere you get your podcast now. We're very excited about that. So be sure to give us a follow and share this episode out. We are also on all the socials. We're at AI Named This Show on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, 
the platform formerly known, or if you're me, still known as Twitter X, if you want to go that route, and more. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will chat to you on another episode of AI Name This Show. Now go watch some I Dream it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Genie. Great show. <laughs> Would you eat the moon if it was made of cheese?